0: Hey everybody, welcome to Leaders Call to Adventure. I'm your host, Laurie Ference. This is the show for those who take the road less traveled. I can promise that after this episode, you will feel inspired and more prepared to venture into the unknown. Today's guest is Nathan Hotoroa Gray. Nathan talks about being one of the first Westerners to walk the entire length of the Great Wall of China and his best-selling book, First Paths Under Heaven. I include a link in the show notes so you can find out more about the book and where to buy it. This conversation is a great example of what the call to adventure is all about. sometimes the audio gets a bit funky but it's definitely worth hanging in to hear what he has to say. The first question I asked Nathan was what possessed you to walk the entire length
1: of the Great Wall of China um, well basically I mean if I'm completely honest um, it's, it's kind of it was like all ego initially I just had this call up and with and this invitation to to go and be the first westerners in history to, to walk the the length of the Great Wall, the first group of westerners, westerners, anyway. And my kind of ego read up and thought, yeah, cool, I'll, I'll give that a crack. But but um, I mean, that was probably the initial um, impetus. But I mean, if I'm really honest, um, I was working as an Alaska, as a lawyer up in Alaska, and I was um, I was visiting this gallery one time, and there's a photo gallery of all these kind of glaciers, and it's quite a, an impressive little showing, but. There are these two photos of China, and they just stood right out from, from all the other photos. And I just had this very, very strong draw to these two photos. And, and I had no idea that I'd go to China later on in the future, but but I just knew in that moment that there was something going on and I would be in that country. I didn't have any desire to go to China at that stage. And like about six to about six to eight months later, I got this first email from a, a friend who was um, working with my twin brother in London on an aerial theatre show called De La Guada. and um he'd been invited by a Buddhist monk who'd come up with the idea to go and walk the wall and was basically trying to find other other members to kind of complete a documentary on this on this guy's walk. So that's when the invitation came to me. So Initially, it was like I had a lot of fear and I didn't really want to do it. But then when he said I'd be the first group of Westerners, so then my ego was like, yeah, man, I'll, I'll, okay, I'll give this a crack. But, um, and that kind of it essentially got us out there in the first place, that whole ego thing. But once um, once we got out there, and, and, and I mean, that, that was a whole month and a half of sort of humming and ah and preparing and being scared and scared, of putting much out of my wits in terms of the whole idea of the journey. But once we got out there, it was just, it was just quite different because we took a two-day train from Beijing, and we'd been in Beijing for about three weeks preparing, just learning as much language as we could just to um, get a little bit of the language so we could survive out there, because I didn't know a word of Chinese at all before I got to China. Um, I mean, I had travelled through about 50 countries Pacific that stage. I was used to being around other cultures and being in one place one day, and another place the next day, and I was very used to it and very much enjoyed that type of lifestyle of living but in terms of taking on this um, whole new sort of alien culture, it was, it was completely new. So we just had that time to prepare, and when we got out there, that two-day train ride, and I was sitting at the very first watchtower of the, of the Great Wall. and basically, just to put it in visual context, you've got this um, the Himalayas right to the back of the south of you, so they just stretch as far as the eye can see to the south, and then to the far north, you've got the Gobi Desert, and that just, just spreads out as, as far as the eye can see. And the Great Wall, it kind of comes down this black mountain that you're on top of and it weaves out into the sand and about two kilometers later it disappears like a worm in the sand so just, you just don't know where to go it just stops and so i was sort of looking at this vista, and i was you know, and the other guys were down the bottom just you know just sort of hanging around in the middle of the day and, and i was sort of saying to myself now um do i really want to do this what you know what what am i here to do and i just kind of had this little promise to myself that i was that i just made this promise that i was just going to walk the, all, all the way to the ocean and as soon as I said that little promise to myself, there was this flash of sunlight on this rocky alcove far, far, far to the north, right in the heart of the, the desert. And I just saw it and I knew that in that second that that was the direction that we had to head. It was like, kind of like a sign or what we call tohu that um, that our Maori ancestors would have looked at when they were sort of about to bark on their massive sea or land migrations um, in the early days when they were discovering New Zealand or, or travelling through the country. Um, back, in, back in the old days, in the last 1,000 years or so, really felt like that kind of connection. So I just had this very strong, clear sense of that was the direction we had to head. So I went down the mountain and um, caught up with the other four guys, and they were not too sure what to do, whether we go back to the hotel. And I said, no, we've just got to head this way. And we just walked straight into the desert. And then um, by the end of the day, when we reached this particular kind of rocky outcrop, there were these three tents. Um, and there's basically filled with these Chinese irrigation workers. I think they're fixing up some sort of pipe set up. And it was, it was basically a way of... Um, getting some food and they, they invited us in and, and we had our own tents but, but they they fed us and, and gave us this opportunity and, and, and there was no way that I knew that those people were going to be there but it was just like their calling was so strong and then we were looked after and that's basically what the first three months of walking the Great Wall of China was like. It was like going into the heart of the Gobi Desert. You, you don't know exactly where the next village was where you're going to survive. The maps, the US-era maps that we were using, didn't, the villages were so small, it didn't point them out on that map, so we had no idea. We just could sort of work out vaguely where the war would go when it was there and just keep on following it in faith and um, and, and then basically um, just keep on walking, keep on walking until eventually we came across a village and we could sort of get our, get our next meal. So we did have some... Food um, that we carried with us, like scrodan and, and noodles, two-minute noodles, quite light um, food as we could go. We couldn't carry too much stuff, so we were pretty reliant on the hospitality of the Chinese peasants as we went. But it was very much one of these journeys of you don't know where the next village is, you just got to keep on going, and yeah. um, just have faith in the wall that it will provide. So that was kind of yeah, that was sort of the whole sort of initial experience of going to the Gobi Desert.
2: Right. Now, in the Gobi Desert, would the wall just sort of disintegrate and then you wouldn't know where it connected up again? You'd look in all directions and you couldn't see it and then you just had to get some sort of sense. Is that how it worked, piece
1: by piece? Yes, yeah, pretty much. I mean, it was quite interesting because usually what they would have is there would be a watchtower on the horizon. And as long as you could see that watchtower... Then you'd walk towards that watchtower and then, and then you'd be able to generally see the next one. And so a lot of the wall in between would have dilapidated with either sand dunes had gone over it and dissolved it or, or just over, over time just it'd it withered away. Um, and so we would pretty much, um, try and climb one watchtower and then you'd be able to spot the next one at that next horizon, sort of head in that direction and then get to the next one and see the next one. So that was generally the way that we went across the Gobi. Um, a lot of the times, so though, we just couldn't see the wall for three days, three or four days. So, it had just all gone. So, but, but the thing was, after we've been walking this wall for quite a few weeks, you just kind of tune into the, to the energy of where it would have been because the way they built mm-hmm. it was always in the most beautiful places. It, it was kind of like, it was almost as if they were building a big ley line across the
2: planet. Yeah. We, yeah just,
1: I, turn, I found it, that fascinating,
2: it. that part of your book where you talked about the strategic reasons for the wall being built probably weren't the reasons. Uh, maybe you can just expand on that a little bit because I really found that interesting.
1: Yeah, totally. I think, I mean, basically the super brains behind the war, um, they they needed to get the money from Beijing from the emperor and, and his cohorts to, to, to complete the war building. So it naturally was the Mongolian presence up north, um, like people like Genghis Khan and um, um, the basic uh, enemies that would come through the area and invade the villages, the Chinese villages that were settled around where the war was before that time but they needed the money to build up those walls to protect those villages so that's how they got the money but there's so many places that the war was existing that didn't really serve any protective purpose at all that kind of got us thinking especially as we really got deep into the journey as to why Why did they build this here there's no way for Mongolian Holstein would either go over that mountain or, or just go around here That you know there was just no point to it so it just really felt like it was, um, the, the were actually just marking the line across. And so once we were walking, fishing in the desert, you'd sort of look up at the stars and you'd see how the, the, the watchtowers would be all marked out and they'd line up with the stars. It was, just, it was mm. very, of the experiences I've had, um, when I was, um, ex- experiencing parts of the Comida de Santiago in and Spain. And, and um, visiting the pyramids and, and different places, it was kind of like little power spots and, and so the thing was when, when the, when the wall wasn't there, after maybe six weeks of walking, we just knew where it would be, we just feel the best trait to take and, and, sure enough, three days later, would be, the wall would appear again and we would have been right on track. We, we could have, we felt where it was. So there's, there's probably a lot of reasons why that was the case and, in some cases it, it was the energy of the building and in other cases it's, um, the walls was also the world's longest graveyard, so you're perhaps feeling a lot of the um, the men and, and men and um, soldiers that have perished in those areas as well and feeling their energy. So it was, it was kind of, you had that sense that we were sort of being guided across wherever mm. it was and, and sort of being looked after. So yeah, in that sense. Yeah.
2: How about water? I mean, you're going through the desert. What What sort of distance are we talking about between these watchtowers? Was it ever an issue that you could run out of water?
1: Yeah, I mean, that that, that is, what is really interesting because the thing was, um, is one stage I was working with my um, partner from Italia, from Italy, and, um, and he, all he had was a one litre water bottle, and all I had was a one litre water bottle and a 750 ml water bottle, which is, which is just nothing really to walk That's with.
2: That's really nothing, no? It's not even a day's worth of water.
1: Not even a day's worth of water. And the thing is, um, we learned to just, the water is so precious, water is literally like gold out there, so, um, we would drink it very very carefully and only once you come across the village then and had a chance to refill it up with the the locals in terms of they'd boil the water and give us some water or or they'd go to a well and we'd get some more water in that way but it was just just a really weird journey in the sense that um, whatever whatever we needed as long as we didn't ask for too much as long as we weren't greedy or or we kind of lived in harmony with our our environment then whatever we kind of needed would just come so, so when we were getting really low on water, it just seemed that someone someone would just come out of the blue and when you saw someone in the desert because you didn't see that many people in there, you knew, okay, you had to meet that person, that person was going to be helping you out in some way um, and then it would often lead to giving you some um, water to survive on or, or, or giving you some food that you needed or, or telling you a piece of information so that you avoid a potential catastrophe that was hanging out a little bit further down the line that you couldn't. You couldn't see yourself, but, but you felt like you were being looked
2: after. Interesting. So did you did you find that were there any times that say the energy of the group was off because you did start this journey as a group of five, correct? Uh, did you ever find yeah the experience that you know that maybe something was up in the group and the energy was off and therefore like the experiences that you were attracting were also kind of reflective of that dynamic? Did you experience that as well? Yeah
1: really interesting question yeah because the, the five of us initially we actually I mean we we all I mean I had one friend of mine from New Zealand and um, I knew the Argentinian uh fighter who two um he invited me to it I'd met him a, a couple of times before we went before we met a trip but the other two the monk and the man from Italy um, follow we hadn't met until we all got to Beijing so as it turned out we all had quite different ideas of what how we thought the journey would sort of transpire so it was um, even though we all had that desire that willingness to go and walk the wall and, as it turned out once we got out there was like um, a couple of the guys were far more interested in just doing a, a doco from National Geographic a couple of us were far more interested in just walking the wall and feeling that sort of experience more having that sort of spiritual walk and so it was kind of quite slight it was almost like some were writers some were filmmakers some were um, the Buddhist monk who was much more interested in just visiting all the temples around the wall area to see how much Buddhism had re-emerged since the times of um, the Cultural Revolution and that sort of thing. So we actually had all different ideas, and we were actually only all together um, for ten days, and then the monk disappeared, and then and then yeah. after 21 days, um, the four of us split into two and two, which which as it turned out was actually a much easier way to go and walk the walk, because it's just much less pressure on the peasants when you. Uh, going into a village and, and there's five big guys coming in and they're needing we needing to be fed and we hadn't eaten and we've just walked thirty, sixty 60 k's or whatever and um, when they were you it was just a much easier way to have that experience. But um, but it was actually quite hard emotionally, especially for me and particular to to realise that people that you've known for a long time in your life, um, you know, it wasn't going to, the journey wasn't going to work very well with those particular relationships. So. So once we kind of split up in our different ways, then the journey just flowed so much better in many ways. Um, but also, I mean, there were still amazing experiences in, on every level. But but we just it just had to be true to whatever whatever our calling, what our intention was of that trip. And once that happened, then then, then the journey was sort of able to unfold more more easily eh, down there.
2: Mm, that's an interesting piece, though. I mean, like the, there's that clarity and the ability for you to follow through on the clarity of your intention and of your experience. And then things sort of conspiring to work for you versus when you're not clear or maybe you know, you're know you going along with some dynamics in the group or not necessarily true to your own inner compass, I'd call it, then things can go awry. Would, would that be a fair uh, thing to say?
1: Completely, yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. I mean, like, 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 for example, there were times as, as well when we, we split up as a group and, and then the trouble really started to begin and lots of experiences like, um, a couple of the guys got detained by, um, police and army and, um, um, I had a situation where there was, um, I just, quite, but we had pimples with quite bad energy and there was a kind of, a, a, a stabbing, a murder, murder experience or homicide. Right, or yeah. As well. so, these things tended to happen when within ourselves, when, when we were working as a group. You know, when we, when we, when we were splat and, and our egos were taking over too much, and we we're trying to be so all about ourselves and all about winning the race and getting there first or whatever. That then those things started to happen. So the war or China was actually just giving us quite hard lessons to say, no, this isn't the way to really go about it. You need to sort of try and work as a team if you can and be more communal. And, um, think about others, and so I was quite a good, strong teacher in that way, even though the lessons were quite harsh, and but once we kind of link our lessons, then, then the, the journey itself would keep on flowing right? uh, in, okay. in a more better, positive way, and yeah, so yeah, it's pretty interesting in that way.
2: Mm-hmm. Very interesting, uh, and one of the questions that I wrote down for you, uh, reading the book, was when you talked about, you know, the situation where... Quote, if you're anxious about getting to your destination, you're in for a hell of a ride. (laughs) This thing, right? You know, the sorts of people you attract, it seems, are equally stressed out. Um I you know, it seems that we're kind of uh you know, we're on that track here, right? Um, where you're basically attracting that kind of thing. If you're not in a good place yourself, you're getting that also in your experience, right? And uh so that you found that, you know, when when the group was able to, to gel and uh, you know, were able to surrender, I guess, to the experience rather than have their agenda running, um, yeah. that things went well for you.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Actually, I left yeah. it when I was first, first time I was really hitchhiking properly in my travels when I was up in Vancouver, I was in, um, Vancouver Island and I, and I wanted to go hitchhiking to, uh, to the west coast to Tofino and I was, um, and I was waiting at the side of the road and, and I was, you know, I'd, it was just really interesting, like I got dropped off and there's this bridge and I, and, and I thought, oh, that'd be quite a cool experience just to walk across the bridge to see what's below it and there's a nice spot straight after there where cars could stop and, you know, and it'd be quite a good place to stop and be hitchhiking. And, and so this is all before I did the war, but, so anyway, so I started to walk across the bridge and I got really anxious about, um, not being able to get to my own destination. So I was, so I put my thumb out as I was walking as the cars that were coming past. And so one car screamed straight past and then, and then but the second car actually stopped and, and then I and, I, and I thought, you know, oh man, actually I don't want this right. I've missed, I've missed out on this experience of, Walking across this bridge and just seeing what's below it and seeing that view and just taking my time and and so the the lady that picked me up I mean bless her soul but she was really stressed out and um, she had a, had a car accident with one of her mates the day before and and was taking me up she drove really fast and I just I got out of that ride and I was a little bit sort of shaken up and and I thought to myself no you just gotta just got to take your time and just have you know just have faith that you'll get there in the end but don't yeah don't 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 worry about it don't get too anxious so i i kind of got off that ride. and went off the road specifically and just sat down and had some lunch and and these bike riders came and it was just a, it was an amazing experience watching them it was almost like watching that, that movie um oh that sure, i think it's called mask that sure um stars and 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 just having this little scene unfold and then they finished their lunch, they went off and it just felt like oh, no, it's time for me to go back to the road again and sure enough, boom, you know, back, went back on the road and there was my ride within you know, five minutes and the van came along. So it's that's just mm. those experiences and using that wisdom to, to, to apply that to the Great Wall experience. So yeah. Yeah. Um,
2: yeah. Yeah. That actually that leads actually into another question that I have here about uh, this conversation that you have with Paolo about uh, mental manifestation. You want to tell that story because I thought that was fantastic, you know. But what would you eat if you could have anything right now?
1: Yeah, so he, he was a very interesting character, and he would, um, because we, obviously we're spending these long days in the desert walking, and and, and then just the pass upon the, the sort of conversations that you have you could um, get quite deep and and very interesting and um, on a philosophical level. And um, so one time we were walking, and it, and it and it just. Like, he, he just asked me, so what do you, you know, what would you like to eat? And I'd sort of, you know, just you know, make a joke, or whatever, as so I used to, used to, but, you know, we kind of, you kind of worked out the configuration of what was available in the environment that we were in. And then, um, just, you know, you know I'd sort of, I think I'd sit down "Yeah, the air noodles and I'd love an airport and, you know, maybe some biscuits, would be so, so cool. And, and then, and then later on that day, you've totally forgotten about that conversation. And come across a village and, and then, okay, then and then you're getting fed these noodles and then there's some apples and then there's some biscuits and it's after a while. I mean, it was it was such a miracle every time. I was like, Oh my god, this is so amazing, it's such a miracle and then and then after a while it's like actually no, it's not it's not such a miracle anymore, it's actually just life, this is what happens. And then you're in the desert and you don't have the distractions of the big city with all the people around you, or lots of thoughts and lots of ideas that all lots of chaos. Um, when, when you're out in the desert and you just there's just no distractions you just you just notice how your thoughts do manifest and that was the power of that walk through the go through that three months and I mean I know they talk about um jesus going into the desert for forty days and learning it I, I don't know exactly too much about how what, what transpired from that experience but it really felt like that's that sort of learning that was going on in terms of mm. what we have as human beings what power we really do have which is beyond that of um, so people who just focus on making lots of money, and that's what it's all about, and they pour the energy into that, it's actually, well, you don't actually need that. It's a new currency, and it's like it's just what you put your mind to of thinking, um, in itself, and you don't have to worry about the the, the, the route to get there. Um, it, it, it's becoming, it, it became more direct, more straight to the source as opposed to... Mm, that's you know, interesting.
2: And, so uh, how, would you say that the, I mean, the, the power in that is basically the ability to just, not be distracted and to be very clear on your intentions or what what is it I mean what's the magic in
1: that yeah I, th- I think that's exactly what it is yeah it's just not being distracted and being very clear on your intentions just as you said and then and then just sticking and just remembering that intention that's the that's the challenge so um, what what what's been going on like for example when we met the people the the people of the Gobi, the Chinese peasants that were there for example money money didn't exist at all, the concept hadn't even got in there. So we were like the first Western minds to be bringing those concepts in there. They would just barter their foods, you know, grow their crops, pass them food between their neighbours and stuff and, and live in this way. And these were pretty much the happiest people I ever met in my life. I mean, they were amazing. They were so present, um, so conscious, um, mm. so giving, like incredible, mm. and um, just really awesome morals. No, not, not necessarily religious, but, just, but they just, just knew how to be human beings knew how to treat strangers and and just incredibly incredibly happy and full of self-worth um and so these people were feeding off these people's mindsets for three months and it just it was just such a different world where we give we go to give them some money after they look after us and they just look at us like what's this you know It's, it's not about this you know it's the connections through looking at each other in the eyes and passing across the energy in that way and it's about the experience of sharing our culture that's what the that's the payment, that's the transition.
2: Wow, I mean, so there's a real acknowledgement of worth, of your own individual worth as a human being in that culture then, would you say? It's not about the currency, it's about, you know, knowing that the connection, the ability to connect with others and, and to know the value of just being alive, it seems a lot more present. Is that... Yeah, is that, uh... yeah and it's, really, it's a perfect point. yeah, it's
1: such a great point. Because it's, it's, um, it's kind of like the way I looked at it. it, was like it was the way of the ancient. And um, it's the way they've been doing things for the last 10,000 years, and then and we've really made as a species as a human species we've we've gone through massive massive changes in the last few hundred years, so which has kind of taken us off um, kind of taken us off that old path. Which I mean, there's nothing wrong with whatever past you know it's all learning and and experiences and stuff but um, when you look at a lot of the crises and the financial um, problems that are going on it's actually that was eventually going to come to a head because that system isn't so sustainable anymore it just
2: absolutely yeah
1: um, yeah it doesn't work the ideas don't work so um, yeah and yeah Yeah. so it kind of lends itself to great but but other than that yeah these people were just they were so inspiring and just to give us that sort of teaching. So when we did come back to the bigger cities like Beijing, it was, just, it was such a big shock to the system.
2: Yeah. What would you say? Like, what happens when in the cities? Then what what happens to people? Like, what you know, the nature of life. What What do you think? I mean, what's the key factor that keeps people sort of disconnected from themselves in that urban environment? What is that?
1: I I, I mean I don't know. I mean I think a lot of it is that sense of um, you're just so, you're subject to so many different influences, and so there's mm-hmm. so many different spurring ways to move this way, and move yeah. that way. In each conversation, you know, my, I know my experience, you know, that it makes me okay. I'll do this for this while, I and mean, I'll go and do that. And it's just life is very, it's very difficult to stay very focused on one thing, mm. very strong, and mm-hmm. very firm in your beliefs of what, where you're going. Um, and you have those people for sure, you know, you have incredible leaders in that way. But a lot of the time it's just like, if you put it in a conceptual level, it's like you've got this nucleus of the atom and there's all these millions of atoms in the nucleus just, you know, just buzzing around, buzzing off each other, feeding off each other's energy, um, generating stuff, building buildings, creating artworks, whatever it is that is happening within that little society. And then outside that nucleus of atom you've got these kind of more rare individuals, like, and in, I'll call it anishons for example, as the concept. And they're just sort of cruising round um the, 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 nucleus and they'll come in from time to time to feed and maybe they need to get some money to, to sustain whatever the activities are outside the, the nucleus and then, and then they'll go back out and, and travel and then they'll, um, and so you've got those people and then, and then you might get someone who's got a motorbike and he can go further out so he'll go maybe two levels of electron out if you're looking at on a like a interplanetary kind of context. Mm-hmm. And, um so they'll have their experiences, so they'll be even more broader minded in terms of what, what they see and what they do. And, and then you have people who are kind of just like asteroids, and they're just cutting through nucleus after nucleus, which is what we were like on the wall. Like we'd come to one village, and as you come into the, the centre of the little village, it's like you'd see all the old people sitting in the market square, and that's what they do most of the days. Um, you know, with, with their old age, they didn't have the bodies to be running around and exploring as much as say we were. But you'd feed off their energy, and they'd, they'd sort of make a comment on you, and you could tell, you know, what what they were seeing. Well, it was quite strange to them because those sort of experiences didn't come by too often. And then you'd sort of leave that village, and you come out, and you'd be meeting the people who owned a motorbike, and sort of explored a bit further out. And then from then you'd be gone from that energy altogether. And then eventually you'd just be in nature. And then and then you come to the next village, and you come to the next nucleus. And it's kind of like that idea of like asteroids going through all these these kind of mini sort of planets, law, really, you know, in, that, in that sense, it sounds a little bit out there, but it's but that's kind of the. It's kind of the experiences I found it and and just the learning that I got from having that kind of explore type experience where you're going from culture to culture and just feeding from each different sort of mindset really dictates the way that I look at the world now and how I kind of function and, and, and sort of hold myself in, in those sort of sorts of environments whether I'm in or out of the, the society or not.
2: Interesting, Yeah. So your ab- your ability to sort of transition through different
1: places, this yeah, you know, yeah. This, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, to be honest, like when I first came back from China, I did a, I had a break, a quite a long break when I was quite, I was about 3,000 kilometers through the trip, and I was very, I'd really pushed my body to its absolute limit, so I had to come home and recover. And and I did recover, and I found it very, very difficult after being in the wild, out in the water mm. for so long, to, to re-adapt to, to the Western world and life that I originally lived and I I used to be a lawyer and have these kind of um, quite full on sort of, you know, driven, competitive, um, kind of kind of lifestyles. But um yeah, but um but what I'm finding now is now when I do cross between both sides, between the wild and the more kind of domesticated, then it just gets easier, you get more used to um, making those adjustments and it's just part of your just life experience and know what works for you and what not to do after you've made those mistakes and and just to better fit in, in in a quicker context. Um, so you've got, you don't sort of ostracize yourself out for so long if you've been out in the wild for a while. So it's been, um, yeah, in that way, some I'm a lot more balanced. And that way was when I was walking the I really to take things to the, to the, probably most, at the most extreme in terms mm. of getting, getting out there but not going too far that I couldn't come back to sort of normal. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Well, just, you know, looking at this thing that I noted down here about, I think it's important to mention this at this point, about how your sense of the vastness of the planet when you're out there. And you said that your mind became diffuse, expanding through the landscape. I love that. I love that statement.
1: Tell us about yeah. that. Yeah, totally. Like, like, for example, like, you'd, you'd leave. like, every two weeks, we'd sort of come across a city. So um, so you'd sort of be walking for two weeks and just come across these little villages of maybe, you know, some would have a hundred people, some would maybe have fifty people, some maybe have a thousand or one. And then you come across eventually enough and then you'd just be in nature for a few days and just nothing. And then you'd see the city in the distance would be about fifty Ks away. And the city would have three million people, it'd be the size of New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And it's just one little Chinese city. But from the context of where I've been, looking through those mountains and those deserts, and you come there and you see this little tiny fragment, it's like a little power shell or abalone shell, um, just on a beach, and it's how small it was, and it's reflecting off the sunlight in the far, from distance, and it's, and it just made me think, man, okay, there's a lot of us, there's seven billion of us now on the planet, but it just, compared to where I've been in this sort of very holy, sort of untouched natural world, we just seem so small, and Um, it it just made it made me feel so insignificant Um, but at the same time um, having walked those experiences having walked that history having having walked um, what was built all that way of of that distance it made me realise what what human beings are capable of and and just absolutely mind-blowing so yeah it's kind of interesting it's good to hold on to that humility and and, and know that know your place but Mm. at the same time you use your strength as, as to what we can achieve and what we have to face in in
2: the of the in yeah, so in other words, they'll have faith in humanity in order to find some solutions to the current issues on the planet, mainly in terms of how to forge a sustainable future where we can all thrive, right, and that the Earth can uh, remain intact and in, in integrity and a uh, place of beauty and resilience. Um yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think, yeah, on that, on that note, I, kept, what, I learned a lot from those people in the gobi because, because the thing is they had such few resources. I mean, a land landed very little water, um, whatever they could sort of scratch together to, to, to have for food, um, they managed to do that. Um, and um, But they, they managed to survive despite having no resources. And, and if, say, the plan it was to go down that road where, you know, two-thirds of the planet would have uh, reach desertification levels and, and have you know quite a, we would really drain the resources of the planet um, it was amazing to see how our species can adapt and can do things hopefully hopefully we won't have to go down that road we can sort of be a little bit more forward looking and, and, and realise okay we don't need that much to be happy really you know like this mm-hmm. kind of limit mm-hmm. our desires and it really just comes
2: down to a psychological level of just sort of Well yeah. I mean I think that's very interesting in it about how sort of this quest for more, more more, it comes from an internal inability to acknowledge our own value and therefore we're looking on the outside for more. I just find you know that what you're bringing up here and like this people that were out there and their simple lives and you know that they don't need a lot to be happy right because the, there's this sort of understanding of what real value is now if you'd like to comment on that I'd love it
1: that's exactly what it was and and, and the thing was um, I mean they were, just, they were just they were very special i just I really felt like I was so privileged to have had, spend that time with those people because when I did go back to Beijing after three months walking to the Gobian, I mean, just to put it in context, my Chinese wasn't very good. Like, we were really communicating through just looking each other in the eyes and, and gesturing and it got to a level you're almost, um, just, almost, you're almost reading each other's minds to communicate for most of our, our needs just because my language at that stage, at the early stage in China was so limited. Um, when I got back to Beijing, it was so interesting. You're back in the city, and you're back where people are cutting deals and they're trying to outdo the other. And, and, and I could just, I just looked at these guys' faces and I knew I, it was so, it was just so blaringly obvious when people were lying to me or they had some agenda. I could just so clearly read what was going through their minds because that's just the way I was communicating for all those months.
2: Mm-hmm. And the thing
1: with the people who were out in the desert is that just, this just wasn't an agenda. It was just, they just were, for want of a better word, they were the natural human animal. They, there was mm-hmm. just no sort of personality or agenda to to, um, to sort of dictate what they were doing, and so so there was no deviousness with you when know, I went to the big cities and it was about you know getting the money to whatever mm-hmm. you needed for whatever your goal was. You know, you could see that deviousness, you could see those kind of agendas. So, blurring the obvious after after that amount of time. So, it's, it's just fascinating how how it all works. And, you know, yeah,
2: I, I would almost at this point, I'd like to just you know. Jump to this sort of <laughs> statement or summary. Is that the farther that you get away from your connection to nature, to the human animal that you are, it's like <laughs> you know, the the harder it is to really understand and uh, what your value is as a human being.
1: Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think it's a really interesting question because I mean, for some people, it's they've got, they'll use their culture. Like, like I know a lot of my Maori friends and cousins and brothers and stuff and they'll they'll stick to their Maori culture as their form of value and and Mm -hmm. their way of being and I I know there's many times in my life where I will stick to those values just to find my sense of self-worth and and value as a a human Um, and other people will stick to their religion whether it's Christianity or Buddhism or um, Islam um, and that's their kind of um, beacon of, of direction in terms of what keeps them valued as a, as a human being. So there's, and, and for some it's, you know, that, that of money or wealth or material well or, 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 for another person it might be just getting a girlfriend or, or, or whatever, you know, it, whatever it is that makes that person. So everyone has their own kind of different types of religions in question, quotation marks, so to speak, um, mm. that makes them, you know, feel like whatever it is that, that the truth that they're exploring. So yeah, it's very hard to, you can't judge anyone, it's just, or you want to observe what you judge of other people because, um, because it, it, if you, if you start to judge other people because of what they're doing because it's different to you, then, then you just got to ask yourself the question, well, why am I thinking that the way I'm doing is right?
0: You know, mm-hmm. as opposed
1: to their way. And, and that's when conflict arises. So it's sort of having that awareness. It's, it's I learned a lot through that, that 55 countries or whatever it was of traveling, just sort of being mm-hmm. around those different cultures and realizing, no, actually, okay, they are different. They're a different type of animal. But um, but it's fascinating and, I, and I'm really interested and I'll learn what I can from it and some parts of that animal I'm not going to like, that's just not going to work for me because I'm just, I just haven't been brought up that way. But there'll be some parts which are like really amazing and I think cool, oh, that's a really cool value that I might try and bring that into my life, bring that into my mm. way of being and change myself down that way and, and I, I definitely think my travels have influenced me hopefully for the better in, in that way of of being open enough to, to take on what, what other people have to, to share with you and stuff like that.
2: Mm. Or to identify different parts of yourself maybe that you didn't know were in there, but seeing that in the external world, uh, was that...
1: C- c- completely, yeah. I mean, I've been yeah. in the Middle East and and um, in Europe and, and in, in Asia and in South Africa, Africa as well, just where it was like, well... Um, you know, it was almost like that sense, like, I remember being in Wadi Rum in and, and Jordan, and it's like this very clear feeling, well, oh, I've been here. You know, I, I just feel very comfortable. And in fact, the first half of the wall, it felt like I'd been there too. Well, not me per se, but my ancestors had, had walked through those paths, because it, mm. it just flowed so well. And I just felt that. And when I went I, the second half of the wall, then it was like I knew no one had been there of mine. Ancestors or anyone, because I was forging that path out for the first time. It was so hard. It was 17 difficult months of, of, of experience to, to reach that, but it so I really felt like I was forging it. Whereas when I look back at the history of the people, what was happening was they um, had had sort of walked all the way through China, Asia, come come down to the Middle East, down through Asia, come down through the Himalayas and, and into into Cambodia, down to into Southeast Asia and settled in the, go in the canoes, went to the um, the islands and then, and, then, and then around 1000 AD, made their way each 800 to 1000 AD, made their way slowly to New Zealand. So you kind of could sense those old migration routes and, and sense mm. where you had the new places where they hadn't been. So that was kind of those kind of experiences. And, um, and just being in touch with those, well being sensitive enough to, to feel those kind of old, uh, those old energies and why you were drawn there to go there and so, yeah, it brings up a lot of questions. and you know, it could be past life stuff or it could be just um, migrational um, social sort of, or, yeah, what, what your ancestors were up to and, and that, having their knowledge as part of your genetic code or genetic knowledge. Um, yeah. Probably-
2: wow, that's incredible. I would say that this sort of awareness that you embody is I don't feel that a lot of people know that they have access to that. Can you talk about that? your own ability to feel these energies and to and to see the signs and and you know and to, to be supported in your life by life itself can you talk about how you do that how you use your own inner compass to navigate your life
1: yeah it's, it's, it's interesting it's something I've been working on for years because I, I remember when I first went to UC Davis and I was finishing my law degree I, I got a scholarship from New Zealand and did my last year um in, in California for my little brain, I had a lot of freedom all of a sudden. I was, all of a sudden I was outside of my, um kind of lifestyle where the first sort of 18, 19, 20 years is very much, you go to school and you, you, you're a sheep, you know, you're herded through the channels. And, you, and I, and I did a good job. I, I, you know, I really enjoyed it. It was very, things just worked very well. I, I, I obeyed instructions very well and, and, and had a very successful, um, early career because I um, I followed those those kind of, um, for want of a better word, those kind of hurting fences very well, very, very clearly. And then I got to a stage where all of a sudden you're just out in a big open paddock and you can go anywhere. And so it's like, well, where do you go? And so I'd be on my bike in Davis and I'd go, there'd be, I could go right or left towards the university where I was heading ultimately. And so I just try and spend the time before choosing what's my intuition, which way does that want me to go? Does it want me to go right or left? And I'll just follow that today just to see what happens and to see what I come across if by taking that way to, to university. Okay. So I, I did a lot of work on that for all those times when I was traveling because you've got the freedom to mm-hmm. open yourself to those experiences. And I, and I found after a while you get so in tune with your intuition and, and it and I generally seemed to help you out from the experiences I had so when I was on the wall if I followed my intuition boom, it would be leading us to some food or or, whatever, or something really important to survive um, if I didn't follow it and I'd notice it um, like um, I'd go to the other side of the wall uh, if there was a gap for example um, then, then I'd look back on the way that I didn't go and I'd see oh there's a group of people there having lunch I missed that I missed that experience because I didn't follow my intuition so so in some ways I don't know who's guiding me or what's happening but, it's, but there's something that Within our human capabilities, that that if you do tap into it, 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 it not necessarily put it will, in some way, it puts you at an advantage to um to to what's out there, to what's available to help you on your on your dream or your journey or your experience. So yeah, it's definitely something to t- to tap into and work on if you, if you're open to it in that way.
2: Yeah, well, I think that's probably a lot of leaders, or this is called leaders' call to adventure, right? Yeah. This is. Um, I feel probably a very important quality of leadership is the ability to really follow your own inner direction, and uh, and use that to take a stand. You know, because if you're leading, that I mean, how do you lead? You know, <laughs> you, you're not following if you're leading, right? You're leading. So, what informs your decision?
1: yeah and I think that's that for me anyway that's the that's the huge challenge of life this is you know, because you're not always going to be the leader you you have you have to know the to follow to um, to also lead as well, so it's yeah um, and you need to know both sides to to be effective in both jobs i, I believe that um I have a lot of times in my life where I'm like, you know okay, what am I doing next where am I going and 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 I do really need to go and have that time on myself on my own just to connect with who I am what and I, where I need to be going and, 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 then, and then re-identify with whatever it is that my calling might be because mm-hmm. it's very easy, easy to jump on someone else's bandwagon whether it be a corporate structure or, or some person that inspires you immensely or a family member or, or whatever it is that you feel you, you, you're following for a bit. But I find um, if I start doing that for too long and I get a lot of warnings and um a lot of signs but things happened to me which make me think, Okay, you can carry on with this path if you want but um it's not necessarily going to um be in your best interest or in terms of what perhaps life really wants has has mm-hmm. planned for you or what or wants you want you to be doing is probably a better way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, so you sort of get in touch with your own sort of internal compass again and um, and and gravitate and 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 just basically grind yourself again and stuff from scratch again and then, and then go back to that leadership role. but i like yeah. I like following as well I think it's really really valuable, so that's wants and what works for you at the time
2: yeah, well, what do you think i mean what what was it that that uh that got you through to the end of this four thousand kilometer walk
1: yeah I think um i mean at the, at the end of the day it's well, it's just blind. <laughs> probably one of a better word, blind obsession. I mean, I was just pretty, I mean, it's the only thing I could really think about in terms of wanting to achieve that kind of goal. And I was just completely sort of motivated and focused towards that particular objective. And um, and it really, to be honest, it really took, took that to be able to get to the end. So even when I'd come home for a break when I was um sort of about 3,000 kilometers through and pretty exhausted, my body had just been so battered. Um, even when I was, you know, technically resting, I just couldn't get... The idea of trying to complete that journey out of my mind—it was really like an obsession—and um, so in some ways, that's what was getting me or giving me the propulsion, compul- both compulsion and propulsion to, to get there. But in some ways, it's not necessarily such a such a healthy thing because um, you're just um, you know if you to be that focused on one thing all the time can sort of um, it can sort of close you off from other experiences. But 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 for that particular journey, I just needed that. Needed that particular drive and that kind of blind sort of focus to to get there, and it was the same with um, writing the book as well. It was very, it, was a, it just required such sacrifice of of every other other possible life option at the time um, just to get to the end. So sort of, to the extent that, in some ways, um, if I was to do that experience again, I would do it differently because it was it, there wasn't enough balance. It was very. Um, it was too driven and too focused, so that I, that I missed out on a lot of other life experiences around that time. But I mean, having said that, I got I got the journey done and I got the book done, and they are uh, two achievements that I'm very proud of. And and um, and, and the sacrifices that they took um, were in no way um, of comparison to to the actual benefit that was derived from from getting the, getting the book out there and, um, and and completing that particular journey because um, because they were definitely the two biggest. Accomplishments in my life at this stage. So um, yeah. So in terms of the um, the trip itself, I think the idea where you, you, I mean, you look back, like to put it in context, you'd be walking and you'd walk all day, and you come to the top of a mountain, you'd look back and you'd see for the last, say, four, three, two or three days, really, that you'd been walking. You could see where you'd been, and you'd see. You'd see all the kind of pitfalls, You'd see the villages where you'd kind of eaten ass, you'd, um, you'd 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 see oh, there's that place where you met that guy that told us you know that to, to go down that that gully and, and that canyon that, and that helped us avoid this particular pitfall that, I think so you could see your past all behind you, and then you go to the top of that hill and you look to look to forward to your future and you see the wall kind of heading out in the future and and you kind of like you didn't know exactly what was going to happen. It was still your future, but you just got an You just had an idea or feeling after a while of walking what what was kind of going to happen Like, and that's when I started to look at things like reading signs and would like sometimes I'd see some birds come along and, and I'd go okay now why are these birds here and, and so you're on your own so you're just thinking what, what, what that possible meaning could be creating your kind of life through there. so you're Again, forging your path ahead with with the journey um, that was that was that was in front of you. So, like you knew you would want to keep walking to the walls and That was the journey. That was the plan. But you didn't know exactly what was going to happen. But you could kind of get little insights and ideas as to what was coming in terms of sometimes there'd be warnings or um, sometimes yeah, some good things. So so it's, it, it was kind of an interesting mindset. But yeah, but um, having going through all these experiences and, and building on them as 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 I like, face this this stage and face that challenge um it's always became easier and easier to to want to finish because like you you don't want to give up when you've um, already been through so much and um so I had one experience while I was on my own, and I was called by the Chinese army and it was just full on and, and I didn't know what was going to happen and and I managed to get out of that experience eventually and 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 then keep going and going and then just the mountains, just so many mountains and mountains and it just gave you more and more strength to keep on going because you just, you just saw all that all that was behind you and when you when you looked back so. Each step that you, you get to, it um, gives you the strength for the next one, you know, in, in that sense. So, it's like anything in life, you know, you're sort of building a house or putting a case to court or whatever it is. You know, you've, it's all about the, the, each brick by brick, each step by step that, that gets you gets to that massive destination. So, actually bring it, bring it right back down to sort of pure simplicity and being in the moment and, and making the most of that particular moment and doing it as best as you possibly can so you're in as, as good a position to, to carry on and make the most of the next opportunity that comes up at the next stage of the journey. And, and so it's just a, ma- a massive collection series of days, nine months of them and all. Um, and then eventually, you know, you look back and you've got, man, you've, then you've got 4,000 kilometres behind you. And it's like, it's such an, empower- it's such an empowering feeling because it's, it's the war kind of comes to the end of the ocean and... and um, I really had that feeling when I went back to the Olympics and in Beijing it was um, um, quite a few years later it was I, I would see these parts of the war and I go man I've walked that that's part of that's part of who I am now that's part of my mana or my my esteem that's part of my identity and it was such a proud realization of something that I hadn't really realized I was taking the journey for, but 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 an extra additional benefit of having taken it because the things that you go through in your life you become that that's who you are as a person and and that's what you carry to the next challenge that you take on. So, having got that 4,000 kilometres behind, for example, that, um, you know, there's that, not too much now that can faze me so much because I know I've gone out there, I've tried to complete something that was conceivably impossible in my mind when I set out at the beginning. But then, after sort of application over over the two years that the, that the journey took, um, then it makes me think, oh, um, I, I, if I can get through that. I can probably get through anything, just have to sort of, you know, put your head down and be humble and and step by step and and, and you'll get there, you know, you'll get there eventually. So Mm -hmm. it was very much that kind of realization, that kind of strength. Yeah, because really, I mean, your
2: life was at risk a number of times out there, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely, I mean, the whole point of the, um, you know, the journey itself, like, you just, because you didn't know where you were next going to get your next meal, many times we'd meet for a couple of days, and did lots of snakes, and the heat was 45 degrees in the summer, and it went down to minus 20 in, in winter, and we didn't really have the um, gear to really keep us alive in, the, in such extreme temperatures, so we basically were just walking to stay alive, and um, and finding shelter in the middle of the day, if we could, or finding places where we could swim, to cool off in the summers, but um, but we were really relying on our own wits, and um, because we had no support crew, and I mean that's a big difference. A lot of people have gone on the walls, and subsequently, but they you know had to support crews. And it's kind of a different experience when you know you go to the end of the day and someone is, is there looking after you. Um, we didn't have that. You know, we just went out there with faith, really, just with mm-hmm. the will to walk the wall, and and that will alone um, saw us through. And and I mean that that's paying huge credence to the um, the Chinese people because they were phenomenally um, generous in their hosting and looking after us. They really did propel us along and, and keep us going. I, I, I wouldn't have been able to walk 5% of that wall without their kindness and their generosity um, yeah. and their
2: support. Well they were your support and, crew. You had to surrender to a support greater crew. support
1: really. Exactly what it was, yeah. Exactly yeah. what it was, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was probably the most humbling thing of all on that trip. It was such a privilege to be in those areas because of those people that were so, so amazing to us in that way. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and open and willing to share everything that they had with you. and
1: Yeah, and and the beauty of it was it was a mutual sharing Cause for, for a lot of them, especially the kids. I mean, a lot of the kids hadn't seen white like people. Face to face before, so it was interesting in the way that like um, you'd see a little kid walking to school and you'd be walking past your big packs and they take one look at you and it's just the pure expression in their face of just absolute shock and surprise. You you, you just knew in that second that, that the boundaries of their cerebral capacity just expanded as a whole another level. Wow. Uh, um, just in that moment, because they had never come across a white person face to face, so so we, we as, as, as at moments like that, you are like, whoa, this is a huge responsibility. So um, you know they're forging their perception of the white man or or um, the foreigner through this experience, and they're probably going to hold hold that for for a lot, potentially a lot of their life, um, given it was so remote. So. Um, yeah, so we just went out there and we learned within we learned this uh, over time. Just to go out there, with so much as so much love as we could give, and just be so giving and kind. And if that was the one representation of the one, they were going to have. Well, it was going to be a bloody good one. So that was the sort of responsibility that we held, having that, that cultural exchange. Mm-hmm. And the same when um when when we'd come into a village and we would have walked 30 k's and absolutely exhausted, and, and these people are feeding, and you're just so grateful. You just like us, never been so grateful and just the fact of um the food it never tastes so good and and and, and the company never felt so savored and and you'd have the whole village would come screaming into that person's house because it's just you know the word would be around in minutes and they would just sit there and they'd look at you all night and and, and you're exhausted but you just you just up there and you're looking straight back at them and they're just giving you this energy um and it was, it was just amazing and it was so nice that i i that as two cultures, we were attracted to each other. I just don't know how that journey would have worked or if it would have worked as well if if our cultures weren't so attracted to each other if, um I know in other countries, say for example, in Australia, there a lot of problems with aborigines and the and the and the local sort of um colonials that came in there, and there wasn't that mutual attraction, so there was there was a lot of issues um between those races so um but the thing I found in China in generally in general the European and the and, the, and the Chinese they, they they have that quite a strong connection so so that it opened a lot of doors for us and that, that that's pretty much what kept me alive so in, in that sense so it's really lucky in that way as well. But um but just to share those moments of just just no words were spoken, just, just sitting there staring at each other and just in awe really and that was that was our that was our night and the next morning, then you're on again carrying on to the next village so it was pretty yeah it was a privilege to have that that opportunity to do that at that at that time when the wall had just been opened so so um it was sort of like sort of some of the first people to go through there in a, in a very long time so yeah that was awesome
0: awesome
2: experience
1: indeed indeed
2: you took how many years to do the trip and then the book how did you fit that into you know your career and kind of getting financially through and all that sort of thing how did you make all that work
1: yeah good good question and um, well it took I mean I started walking in 2000 in um, and then and um, the end of 2000 and I finished it was exactly two years later and in and, and 2002 and so that was um, within itself that was nine months of walking within that time um, the and what I would do I mean to sustain myself in that time, especially when I came back to write my book, it um, which took me three years to write. Um, and in another year, on top of that, to get it published um, by Penguin, um, what I was sort of doing is um, I would do like a three-month contract at a law firm or um, work for one of the legal government agencies to um, save some money, but, but um, I would do that. But actually, and, and there's they have an artist scheme back in New Zealand where you basically get paid equivalent of being on the unemployment benefit. But you're an artist, so you don't have to do certain um, programs that, that most people would do if they go in an unemployment and business, you can just dedicate your time to your ass. So I did, and our government had just started that program. So I went on that for a couple of, a couple of um, the, the years while I was running the book. And I mean, I was living off literally $140, but nothing, very little money a week. Um, you know, just enough for my rent and, and a little food. But The thing was, when I started living in that way, when I'd go into the supermarket, it's, it's the same life again. It was like, all the deals would just come to me so I could afford everything and when <laughs> I started making money it was really interesting when I started making money those deals just weren't there anymore you know the things yeah. were a bit more expensive and so I just I started to notice that and, and even in my western world there's that same energy that same sort of flow and that was it was just taking those sort of skills and in and, 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 and that same time it would, um, by keeping that intention towards trying to achieve that book um, you know life is still helping you out as long as you were sort of not too greedy or not you know just living in harmony with the environment, and, and, and so I had more than enough to get me through. I it simply wasn't a, a great time, I wasn't sort of running around and. and uh... And living in five star resorts or having that kind of superstar life or anything, it was it was hard knacker but it was but 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 it was just enough to enable me to get to get to the end. Um, as long as I followed through on that intention, so yeah, life, I mean, life is pretty. It does help you out. Uh, but, uh, but the thing I've kind of learned to that as long as your intentions good, then it will help you out. If your intentions not so good, then then then, then that's when the sort of trouble really started. Um, yeah, get back
2: on track. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the struggle will show you where you need to change something yourself. <laughs> Inevitably, oh,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, in terms of the uh yeah. Or just in terms of the promoting of it, and and, and once the book got published, and then I then then um, like a lot of that energy that I invested into that book, and then when it went out there and turned into a seller, and when it it came back, all that time that I put into it, it did come back later on. It was just sort of, it was just more of a delayed. Blade explosion of experience as opposed to say, maybe going to work each week and just getting a little bit of money each week. It's just you, you got a, a, a little bit more in one box, so I'm a little bit later down the track. That's kind of, I suppose, it kind of all comes to the same sort of conclusion, just in a different kind of man, different manner. So that was kind of how it experienced for me, anyway. Yeah. But, so
2: yeah. what has life been for you since that? Since you've got your book out there and I, you're still traveling, what has your What's your next big adventure? What's your what propels you yeah. forward now?
1: It's kind of—I mean, it's kind of interesting. It's when I mean, when I got my my book out, I I I what my, my, my plan was because I'd already done my 50 countries and I and I thought, right, I'm not going to go and travel anymore until until I've got this book done and just completed that that kind of challenge. And and, and once I did do that, um, then I just basically spent a couple of years going round. I was living in the UK, just in London for a while. And I was in China and Australia and America just promoting the book while I was, while I was going around travelling. Um, so there was quite a good way to change my travelling approach. Instead of just travelling and exploring, I was actually travelling and promoting my book and mm-hmm. um, and then also writing stories for the magazines that, that I've been writing for for the last about um, 12 years. Um, on the on the side as well, just to, um, of the stories that I was interested in, that that Word necessary about the war, but like, like for example, I just got that from Thailand recently and wrote a story about the um, the tsunami recovery efforts, um, mainly because of the uh, thousands thailand um i just missed the tsunami by one day so i had that kind of emotional wow. attachment to that experience wow. and um yeah and, and i'd write about the changes to china and, um, when i went back to the to the beijing olympics i'd mainly be writing about the changes to china and how much over those sort of 10 years and what and cause it had Changed so much, for example, Beijing it built about seven thousand sky in their that time, so it was just stuff that I just blew my mind in terms of how much China was progressing and and then last year, um went to the soccer World Cup uncovered covered that in South Africa, and um the main reason was I was an exchange student there when I was eighteen, I'd never been back um exactly half a lifetime later. went back to the World Cup, and it was just very strong flow again, you know, just meeting the right people at the right time, and a few of my friends were in the New Zealand soccer team going over there, so I wanted to support them and it was quite a strong pull. and I was just writing about how much their pilot system had changed from when I was there in ninety three when the elections were just about to um, take place as an exchange student and then coming back and just seeing how much the race relations had improved in that time was really awesome to have that kind of, that opportunity to be able to see from that perspective having been there so young. So, um, yeah, I kind of get driven by ideas and interesting, uh, most of them are kind of travel orientated, but but there'll be some sort of issue or some sort of event or, or competition, like at the moment we've got the Rugby World Cup here in New Zealand, so I'm back home sort of Getting a gauge of what's going on around the country this kind of historic times for New Zealand, and, and um, yeah, it's just nice, and that's what that's kind of what that takes my life. And I, and I know I'm getting to the stage. I mean, I'm 37 now, and it's that stage of, you know start to think about family, and um, you know, just finding a partner, and so so those things are becoming more of a priority. And that, that's just where my body is wanting me to be. So so yeah, I'm not I'm not thing about that kind of way of the direction how it's unfolding I'm still very much trying to stay in the, stay in the moment of each day but, but I've got that sense because of these experiences I've had I know the right people will come just at the right time as long as I sort of just stick to my laurels and, and stick to my kind of goals and dreams and, and you know, things will just fall into place so I've got that kind of just and like that, that, that the right things will come at the right time and, and, um, and when they don't, well, it just listen anyway. So, so it's all good. So that's kind of flogged my eye, like anyone. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Is it always your passion that's driving you forward or is it life supporting you and you just sort of staying open to the signs? Or you know, How does that work exactly, that even the trip to South Africa? Did you have an interest in going back? And then what was the deciding factor? Is it you... That you know, this, you know, you have a desire, and then things start to fall into place, or is it kind of the circumstances align in a certain way, and then you think, well, I'm interested in that, and I'll just go with that. How does, how does
1: that work for you? It's it's interesting, yeah. I think in some ways, I mean for example, if I South African trip it was very much um I'd really been wanting to go back for a long time, but but because I'd had such an amazing year there and it was such a profound experience sort of watching the rise of Mandela and, 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 and their the build up to those first collections, it was it was such a profound year. Um, that was definitely the first year that I that I'd lived history in my life. At that stage, um, I was always too scared to go back and then um I and mean, then, I mean, and then, I was I was still in touch with some of my friends who were springboks and um, you know playing you know and doing quite high level um, sporting. That fact, they got them back to New Zealand and then in the UK. So we had a lot of contact with with those sort of people. But but the um, but it was kind of it just I was going to go to you before, but it just, it just wasn't the right time. I just I could just sense it was a very strong spiritual sort of. Um, kind of warning no not yet, and then and then so I waited the next year for when this I woke up on I was just so the right time it was just it just felt right, but it was definitely coming from my original intention, that, that trip anyway, and there's a lot of times where I just don't know what to do next, you know and um so just to stay just those experiences where that just that just happens and I, and I try to lock down and save some money and and do 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 the basics um just so that when the inspiration does come. -hmm. And I really have that feeling that I want to go and travel again, or do this experience, or do that, um, unless I have the means to be able to do it. And in that meantime, so there's kind of there's a reason and purpose for for everything, I think. So it's probably actually a bit of a balance between my own kind of creation of my own life and what's going on, and then also these other things coming from. Areas where I, where they certainly, and um, like, well, for example, China certainly wasn't coming from my own intention at, at that time because that was the last country I wanted to go to back back in those days, back in 1999. So, um, but so yeah, so I've i just kind of got a sense of faith of you know just whatever that all meant to be will happen and, and just follow it as humble it as you can and give it your best and that's, that's and you should be happy with what you're doing with your life. So, yeah, <laughs>
2: You seem to, you accomplish a whole lot just by that sort of, um, how should we say that? I mean, that sort of um, receptiveness to your own life, really. The openness to just observe and see and, uh, and respond instead of, um, oh, well, giving your life a chance
1: to show you. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. I think yeah. so, yeah. It's a really good way of putting it. Is it like It's sort of a thing where um, sometimes, like with the wall, for example, I was very attached to that outcome. I was so blindly driven and attached, and, and it all to be that light like, of that. I couldn't be a happy person until i achieved that goal. And, and by going through that process, going through that learning, I've learnt actually you don't have to be that, that blindly attached to something. It's actually not necessarily that healthy. You just you'll get there and then you'll get there just um let things be a bit more patient let things unfold in their own time um don't be so regimented and and and, and to a strict sort of time regiment it's not necessarily the best way of going forward so i've been a lot more i've learned to be a lot more relaxed um, in the last say four or five years than i was um in say my early 20s like late teens where we were just Basically, socialised, brought up in such competitive environments that we're just so driven and just to a level. Which I mean, there's, there's nothing wrong with that at all. It's, I mean, it gets, it gets things done, and it, and it can be can lead to really positive results. But but um, but it just like this kind of that journey through China just changed me, and, and just it doesn't have to be about winning. You know, you, you, there's there's other ways of learning your life lessons. So,
2: on that note, because we all have our different. Uh, calls, things that we are called to do or that our life shows us or we're meant to do, right? What would you say, or just your, your wisdom and guidance on how people can really access their inner knowing and how they can answer their call in a way that makes sense and feels, well, maybe not comfortable because there is a surrender piece to all that, but, you know, that they have some some level of comfort in that how, how what would you advise people to do that are maybe they don't have they'd love to do something tremendous like you've done but they don't really even know what their thing is to do how would you guide them in in figuring that out
1: Yeah, I mean I have a lot of time in my life where I don't know what to do next without a doubt I think that's part of a human condition it's you, you just just kind of blindly lost and you've got no idea and you don't have any inspiration and you just you just like oh man what do I do you know what do I do and and I have that a lot without a doubt um, it's not like it's clear and it just follows and flows it's just not the case at all I mean um, in some ways um, for example when I was walking on the ward I was actually just a convenient excuse I didn't have to think of doing something else I just knew that was cool it was actually quite nice to have the next couple of years of my life sort of in some ways mapped out more or less by that journey because that was where my attention was going. But um, but um, I don't know. I mean, during those times, what I find I do is I just, I just gotta be on my own and just go and just be quite meditative and just sort of sit, the sit just sit with myself and just let let me come in, back into me. Um, so I'm not too influenced by too many other things out there and just kind of just see where I'm at, see where my body's at, and what what's it's kind of wanting at this particular stage of life um, just for my own mental and um, physical well-being and whatever it is that, 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 that I'm actually personally wanting and then just finding that kind of core gravity and, and, and if I can find find that feeling, sometimes I can't, but, but what I do, generally do you know, when I go back out into the world again, um, I'm a little bit, I mean, I'm I'm still responsive to what's around me, but I'm, but I'm stronger in my convictions as to um, what sort of journeys I'll go on because... Uh, what I have learned in my my travels is that you you do, I do recognise flow very quickly. Like I'll, um, be, for example, I'll be working up with a show. much with much my brother's doing, so that that flow will very quickly manifest as soon as I get onto that that particular subject of work. And then and then, as soon as I finish that job, as soon as the very second I cut that relationship off to jump onto something else, then, then for example, then the Rugby World Cup, that was just at the present time, will that energy will be coming in. And, and, and so I'll start to see a lot of the people that are visiting the city. And I'll say, OK, cool, this is just another flow. Am I ready to jump on this one now and go get my camera out and start taking photos or whatever it is I want to do around that particular experience? And then I'll kind of cut myself off from that, and then I might be um with a with a friend or a partner or whatever and, and and have that particular time and just have that kind of romantic experience and that's might maybe what, what I'm needing at that particular time and as soon as that 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 terminates and our our two paths cross away then boom, then then my my um twin brothers sort of flow off going up on the show that will appear again you know the, the the people will just come along and they're just there. It's just really interesting. And it's a little bit, does, it, it's enough to kind of do anyone's head and I think in terms of being able to see what's going on with life and that, the, the different energies that are coming in and influencing it. But um, I think the important thing is, is to be, um, if you have that time on your own and that strength within your own self as to who you are and what you kind of want to be doing as a, as a person on this earth, um, then you've got more strength as to make the right choices perhaps into what's going to be better for you um the yeah. you're going to take. Yeah, so there's no right or wrong, but it's just it's one of those. I suppose it's kind of how um, I go about it at this stage. But I certainly like, yeah, I'm no master of, of this at all. It's an ongoing inquiry and doing a lot of learning down that road. So that's mm. yeah. It's, uh, no, that's but I think that's
2: interesting. very interesting what you say about taking that time because you have the answer from within, or just to suss it out instead of looking. Or there's always this quest like, what should I do? What would other people want me to do? and Instead of just Taking that moment to check in with yourself and say, what is good for me and what is my body telling me? You know, even that simple connection, right? Like, what message yeah. is my body telling me that I need to do? That's a very important guide. Our bodies are an
1: important guide.
2: <laughs> yeah, that I think the
1: vitalized. Yeah. I think if you get in touch with yourself on that level, because I knew I knew, you kind of know. Like I can remember when I was, I was, I think I was twenty three, twenty four. I just finished my law degree and I was just starting working in the law offices, and I just I enjoyed it. It was a really good experience. But I was, um, my body was just so eager. I'd be always looking outside the window, you know, like oh man, I want to be out there, you know. And, and I, after a while, I just said, okay. I'm going to listen to, you. I'm going to listen to my body, and I'm going to go. I'm going to go out there and do that. And so my body was just so happy being. A, I kind of changed career to be more of a journalist because it was more conducive to being out there, and um, it's just what my body wanted. It was just nice to be out there, experiencing all these cultures, seeing environmental degradation, seeing overpopulation, seeing poverty, seeing the planet, or whatever. Seeing life, and then, and then, and then now. It takes a lot more effort or to have the passion to want to do all those things. I mean, I'll still do it. I'll still try and keep it in my life, even if it is for you know, a couple of months a year or, or whatever in terms of that freedom. But, but it's not such a priority anymore. The body's like, actually, yeah, I want to kind of, I don't mind doing a job in the office as much as as what I did before. You know, actually, they're, they're actually, quite a nice experience. So, it's, as a guide, it's, it's kept me relatively happy. And, I mean, I have a lot of my legal friends are very wealthy now. And they know they're stuck with those those roles and but I don't I just I personally just don't have any regrets. It's at least I at least I went out there and did these things and, and then I can go and do do these other things a little bit later. So yeah, I think if you do follow your body it kind of knows it's got an innate wisdom that you know that our minds probably it will take a while to kind of come around to but, but it seems mm-hmm. to know what it wants and if you can well, allow yourself if you're fortunate enough to allow yourself to have the freedom to to follow those words then then um, then usually they turn out to be pretty well just good for you it's good for your health and, and, and that's probably the most important thing in the long term because as long as you're happy and doing what you're wanting then you're, you're not going to be picking up you know sort of diseases and cancers and stuff which which mm-hmm. sort of seem to come about if you're living a life which you're not really designed to be living, you're sort of mm. depressed or doing things you don't really want, and that's what that's because you, you can feel that what those when you have those thoughts, you can feel that impacting your body. Well, I can. I've started to really notice that in my life, the experiences I've had, and uh, yes, yeah, so I just try and. You know,
2: so you mean when you eat, go against uh, your
1: wisdom, that your body starts to freak out, kind of thing. Is that what yeah happens? yeah if i'm if I'm putting myself under massive stress and and um doing things that I probably don't um you know it, i mean I can do it for a while, I can put up for for a while i mean like with, with for example with the the great wall trip at you no know, I put my body through huge stress for months, and you know, I really did knock myself knock myself around. And so I, I learned the hard way through that trip fortunately not, fortunately, i didn't kill myself and know go all the way but but i learned the hard way in the amount of time it took to recover from that journey is as, as to you don't have to be so driven blindly to do something like this there's another way you're still going to get there but there's a more balanced way a more middle way of doing it and and um that was just my own personal lesson of learning my own limits and and, and working around them. And so that now, when I take these journeys, when I do travel, it's a, instead of like having this sort of outlandish idea and trying to get all the way to some certain point, I'll just go to the halfway point and take my time. And I've such a good experience. It's such a much nicer way of living my life. And so I'm just, yeah, you just sort of going in with, with where your body's at and where your mind's at at that time and just trying to be in, in tune with that. And if I have my colour myself, just just to sort of meditate that once in a while, and then that, and that definitely... Makes it help helps make it a bit more clearer for me. So yeah, it's just my way, but I'm sure everyone's got their own kind of way of finding what 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 caused the most. But follow your if you can follow your passions and you know what feels right, then it's probably a good thing. It's probably more more mm-hmm. more more likely than not in anyway. your Yeah.
2: Well, it's simple, you know, and sometimes we tend to overcomplicate things, right? And
1: <laughs> create. Yeah, we're a complex animal. Yeah, for sure. Yeah.
2: So, yeah, but if we could just tune into the you know, that the animal that we are and what our body needs then we probably a lot of direct information would be just right there. Yeah. It is
1: right there. It's just a matter no. of paying attention to it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's so, think it just um and it not just benefits you, but it all benefit those that that you're around and who you influence as well because if if you're sort of happy with what you're doing, then then you're going to create that kind of positive energy around those that you come into contact with and that's only going to kind of continue on in that mode and so, so yeah, you probably... I mean to create a far more healthy environment around you. So um and, uh, and and for those people as well. So it just keeps compounding in that way. And and, and that, that that's gotta be good. I mean, you look at the countries where there is a lot of sort of hardship and it's and it's just they just this just people that have, yeah, just, yeah, it's, I don't know, I mean, it's, it's hard to really comment on it, but it's hard, really difficult experiences that they're going through and, um, you know, and that, and just that stress and that kind of negative energy um, leading to sort of more crisis, crises and, and wars and famines and, 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 and those kind of problems that we're facing. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a reality of our, our life, but, yeah, it's, I don't know how I any mean, yeah, it's bit hard to but hard to really comment on it, bit but it's yeah, yeah. I think if you can kind of surround yourself with the people that kinda of keep you positive and keep you good, um and then keep you sort of on track in that way then that's then, then probably a good good approach as well. I mean, yeah, but it's it's your own, you know your own path better than better than other people do at the end of the day. So um you've got to be true to yourself and that's that's kinda of key. And then you're kind of probably gonna be stronger for other people at the end of the day.
2: So on that note, I mean, that's, that's pretty much it, isn't it? That's what it all boils down to. It's simple, powerful, and true. And I thank you for that.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Leaders Call to Adventure. For show notes and links to everything mentioned in this episode, go to www.leaderscalltoadventure.com forward slash one. And that's number one. If you enjoyed this show, you can subscribe to it in iTunes and help people find it by leaving a review or rating. You can email your questions or comments to me directly at Lori at com And if you find yourself in the midst of a big change or need someone you can trust implicitly to help launch a new venture, please know I'm here for you. In the meantime, I very much appreciate you and your courage to take the road less traveled. Until next time.